from the White Letter Production Studios in Los Angeles, California. I'm Ellie Unger-Sargon, and this is The Cut Podcast. Alrighty, thank you all for coming. Really appreciate you being here. And I want to introduce the filmmaker, Ellie. Hunger Sargon. Right. And I'm going to let you take it from here so we can get started. Great. I want to just thank everyone. and Everybody here knows where the bathrooms and all that business is, right? So thank you so much, Janelle, and thanks for all of your hard work putting this together. My name is Ellie Hunger Sargon. I'm the filmmaker. Uh, so I wanted to thank Janelle and KOPN Studios for hosting Um, I also want to thank the whole network who's sponsoring my uh, jaunt across the North American continent. We're on a 30-city tour, uh, and we're fairly early on in the tour. Um, So thank you all for coming out tonight. Uh, What we're going to do is uh, we're going to show the film, 70 minutes long, uh, my first feature-length documentary. And um, after the film, we're going to have a Q&A session. Uh, So think up some good questions, and we'll have a really good discussion. The whole thing will be podcast, so someone, I think Janelle will be coming around with a mic uh, to whoever's asking a question. So if you can wait for her to get to you with the mic, uh, that way the podcast audience will be able to hear. It doesn't amplify her voice, it'll just be recording it. Um, And after the Q&A session, I'm going to be showing a five-minute extended trailer for my next project that I've been working on for three years now called The People Without a Land. It's a documentary about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And uh, then at the end of the, uh, uh, after we we show the trailer, um, we'll be selling DVDs. And there's a special uh, cut tour sale price for the DVDs. If you buy one, it's $20. If you buy one or, if you buy two or more, so every unit goes to $15. And we take cash and all forms of credit card. Uh, And... um, also, it's a free screening, but your donations are appreciated. The suggested donation is $4, uh, regular and student or low income $2, and there's a, a box right there for that. Uh, and of course, if you want to give more, we appreciate that too. So thank you so much for coming out, and uh, without further ado, let's, uh, let's get the show on the road. Do you have any comments? Um, I was actually born... Uh, you want to ask the question again? Are you British? <laughs> I, I, was, I was born in the UK, um, and my father was born and raised there, so yes. I, I know my wife tells me constantly how tragic it is that I don't have a British accent, but my childhood was spent on the east coast of the United States, so that explains that. Okay, this is perhaps off-topic, but I I, I heard that uh, you were going to make another movie about the Israel-Palestine uh, conflict, which kind of interests me. And uh, I know it's it's a complex issue, and there's both sides to it, but I guess when push comes to shove, you have to, uh, you know, you have... To, uh, so, w- w- with what in, in what side are your sympathies with? on that issue I, I, I know I know I know I know you know there's there's two there's more it's it's there's shades of gray and stuff but 
It is a complex subject, and uh, after the Q and A, um, I'm going to show you a trailer. And after you see the trailer, let's see if you can guess where my sympathies lie. Okay, but 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 with with circumcision, it, it's clear that your sympathies are are against it, right? I mean, yes, I okay. feel that the practice is ethically wrong, um, and I have a lot to say about it. But if you if you have any specific questions, um, I'd be happy to answer them. Is it is it only in Jewish culture? Do you know? Do you know? Are there any other cultures there which they do it? Because I'm from India, and as far as I know, they don't do it in Hindu culture. Right. There are, and and as far as I know, that's true too. That in Hindu culture, it's not practiced. Although there are many Muslims that live in India, and they do practice and it. And they do it. Yes, we, yeah. we have. Um, so the largest population in the world that performs circumcision are Muslims, mm-hmm. and they actually don't do it at infancy. Typically, it's typically done in childhood or as a sort of coming of age right but it's more in like the the age range of 7 to 12 mm-hmm. um, it's it's variable so that's the largest population in the world that practices male circumcision it interestingly it's less central to the muslim tradition as a practice than it is to the jewish tradition as a practice in in islam my understanding is that it's a sort of recommendation for what they believe are hygienic purposes as opposed to an actual obligation. In the Jewish tradition, it's really a very central tradition, and there are many reasons for that. There are other cultures that practice circumcision around the world, um, mainly as coming-of-age right, coming rites. Do Chinese people do it? Uh, no, Chinese people do not. Interestingly, the South Koreans adopted it as a result of the U.S., military presence there and they now do it again very interestingly not at infancy um, but they do it on children and when they hear about how Americans do it at infancy they say well that's silly they'll never remember it and for the South Korean culture of circumcision it's done and it's important to do it when the child is able to be cognizant of the pain because it's supposed to teach them a lesson Um, there are other cultures that do it uh, in the sort of Pacific Islands, I believe there's a sort of less severe form of male circumcision that's a it's like a dorsal slit of the foreskin. Um, and then we come to the Jewish practice and the American practice. And what's unique about the Jewish and American practice of circumcision is that it's at infancy. Um, and that is that is different from most other practices of male circumcision. Um, and the Jewish practice was adopted almost, you know, verbatim, if you will, um, from the Jewish practice. Um, and it was sort of made into this medical practice. Um, and as you saw in the film, that, um, that, that, that's a very bizarre and interesting story, how that occurred and how it continues to remain with us as a quote unquote medical practice. Although I feel very strongly that it's uh, medically irresponsible of, in of the highest order it's a, it's, a, it's really irresponsible to, to on, put a wound on an infant at on, that age on on infants on 7 year olds on 12 year olds on I don't think it's unethical for a person to make a decision that this is how they want their penis once they reach the age of majority and if a person is able to consent and and makes a decision that this is a kind of body modification that they want. They can go to a physician, and under those circumstances, I think it's totally legitimate for a physician to participate. When we're talking about infants or children who do not have the ability to consent, making a, an, a completely unnecessary permanent body modification, in my mind, there's just no justification for it. 
heard the hold, hold on. Oh, I heard the Jewish people. I heard the Jewish people cut off a lot less than non-Jewish people. That's at, at infancy. That's not true. Um, I should I should say that if we're talking about non-Jewish Americans versus Jewish Americans, um, that's not strictly speaking true. Although I suppose it it could be argued that uh, medical circumcision has a much more variable. Um, sort of amount of skin that's removed. There's no dotted line in a circumcision because the intact penis is 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 an organ, and there, it's not like there's like a perforation somewhere where it's like cut here. So different doctors and different procedures will take off different amounts of skin. But um, the the thing that um, sort of makes American and Jewish circumcision uh, very sort of striking is that not only do they cut off the foreskin, they also tear away the remaining mucosa and will um, pull down the remaining skin so that it sort of scars onto the body of the penis, rendering the organ completely immobile. There are forms of circumcision that are less severe, but American and Jewish circumcision sort of share that property. I heard that it was symbolic and it was just a little nip. In, which, in, in, in the Jewish tradition. So what you may be um, thinking of is that there was a time in Jewish history when it was a less severe practice, and this is a very interesting history, um, prior to the Hellenic period in history. So, you know, sort of, uh, we're talking, I think, right up to, like, the, the turn of the first century, the Common Era, that kind of thing. Um, Jewish circumcision was a much le less radical procedure. They would only cut off the anterior part of the foreskin that overhung the glands when the penis was flaccid. Now, it should be mentioned that as I showed in the film, um, the ridged band uh, lies in the distal part, in the furthest part in the ridges of the foreskin. So it's likely that even the original form of circumcision, which was less severe, that didn't involve tearing away of the mucosa, um, did get rid of the most sensitive part of the penis still. Uh, having said that, at that time of the the Hellenic period, um, Jews were restoring their foreskins um, because they wanted to appear in the Olympic Games. And in the Olympic Games, the Olympic Games, of course, were performed in the nude, but it was considered the height of vulgarity to show you the glands of your penis. And if you're circumcised, yeah. that's going to be showing. So what the Jews would do is they would put weights on the remainder of their foreskin, um, apply tension, stretch it out so that they could look normal. Well, when the rabbis got wind of that, they said, well, we need to do something about this. And so they instituted a more severe form in which restoration would be virtually impossible. And that's the form that uh, lasted to this day. I, I also heard that African-American GIs in Vietnam volunteered to have it done, one, because it was free, and two, because the Vietnamese prostitutes preferred it. I can't speak to the Vietnamese prostitutes. But I can tell you about a very disturbing history um, with the United States military and African-American men. And this goes all the way back to World War II and even before. Um, it was believed that African-American men could not keep themselves clean. And so the army instituted forcible circumcision for all African-American inductees uh, under the false pretense that not only would this help them maintain their hygiene, but it would also prevent sexually transmitted diseases. Um, 
And there was a very strong racist element in the way that the American military went about uh, coercing these uh, inductees in this manner. I didn't know that. It's a, it's, it's a very interesting history that's not often talked about. So was is it not true that it was, in the beginning, it was just a cut? That's what I've always understood, that it, that it, the earliest circumcisions weren't even cutting the whole tip. Are we talking about Jewish circumcision now or general circumcision? Because well, circumcision goes back to, like, earliest, like, before we have any records of history, and we're not even sure exactly how it started. Hmm. Um, I, can, I know about Jewish circumcision. Well, I thought Jewish circumcision was just a... a a cut like a ritual nick no no they took off the and i mean it's clear in the in the biblical passages what was mm -hmm. meant and yeah they took off the part of the foreskin that overhung the glands they didn't do the other steps in traditional circumcision but that was definitely and like i said most likely the ridged band was was ablated in that procedure as well yeah what I was pretty um, overcome when I was watching the female physician doing the, the circumcision. And I have a filmmaker question and then I have a, a baby therapist question or comment actually that it just really bothers me as a culture to to hear what she was saying which is so common and that's like it's okay and sh sh you'll be okay and totally denying the baby's terror and feelings or maybe trying to talk herself out of that and saying I'm sorry I'm I, I, you probably remember what she said I'm sorry I didn't do it it's not my fault right well you know from a pre and perinatal brain development perspective that is being wired into the brain and that is such a horrible double bind that that baby is programming that this woman is doing this to him at the same time that she's saying it's not my fault that I'm doing this to you and you're okay and then she's holding him like it's it our culture has not yet even begun to look at how human baby is impacted by the the simplest of medical interventions done without thought to the baby and how the baby is imprinting it in in his or her brain and I'll, I'll, I'll come back to you for the uh, filmmaker question but I, I just want to address that point and I think it's really interesting um, there, there are a lot of interesting things about the Phyllis Marks character in the film um, and to me one of the sort of clear things that I was that I did in the film so at the beginning, if you'll remember in, in her fr the first interview that she that you see in the film, she says, you know, it's all about the mucking. Minimize the mucking and they won't, the, you know, everything will be fine. And then I show her doing it and you see all the mucking is going She's on. She's a mucker. Well, all the mucking is going on and the baby is completely silent. And it's only when the first, you know, pinch on the foreskin happens that the baby starts shrieking. So... But what that to me, and I've seen this elsewhere also, what that says to me is not that she's a liar. She wasn't being intentionally untruthful in her answer to that question in the early interview. She doesn't hear it anymore. And we know this. We know that people right. who perform circumcisions literally 
do not hear the baby crying um, after a certain point. And that's part of um, a human psychological mechanism to go into denial about what you're doing. When you're causing that many people that much pain over a period of time, um, you will literally stop hearing them cry. And that that's, to me, that was a very profound sort of a realization. Right. And to hear her say, oh, it's the strapping them down, it's taking the diaper off that babies don't like. When I mean, babies have their diapers changed all the time and, and, and strapping them down. He wasn't crying during the strapping down. Right. And you can see it, that. And it was immediately when, he, when she started to... Yeah, he's just screaming. So as a filmmaker, I'm just curious about, you know, how how you approached getting that interview and has she seen the film and... and so yeah, Dr. Marx has seen the film um, and, you know, we never got a chance to actually talk about it. There are a number of people who are in the film who I did get a chance to talk to. Didn't get much of a chance to talk to Dr. Marx about it. Um, she said she'd be happy to talk to me. Uh, I think she came to the premiere, if I'm not mistaken. I'm pretty sure she came to the premiere, which was in 2007 at the Gene Siskel Film Center in Chicago. And, um, I mean, you know, the dilemma of any documentary filmmaker, and this is a big ethical weight, is, you know, how much do you tell your subject about what you're doing? And the truth of the matter is that, you know, you don't always know exactly what you're right. doing. You don't always know where things are going to go. I mean, I had some strong opinions that led me to explore this issue but um you know i didn't you never know exactly where things are going to lead you and i think one of my responsibilities as an honest human being is to um give myself over to the process and allow it to take me wherever it takes me um having said that you get into some very uh tricky ethical territory when you're dealing with people and you don't want to be dishonest um, but it's very important that they be in your film and that they speak their minds the way they would um, so yeah that's uh, it's, uh, documentary filmmaking is an ethical minefield I mean it really <laughs> is yeah very much I also wanted to say since I still have the mic then that I was also really really touched by the end conversation with you and your father and especially after the conversation we had today about you know my son because that, that is such a, a journey of being a parent is letting them or allowing them or honoring them as they go do whatever they're going to do it was just a really sweet to see that really my father's been very supportive and he's participated in a number of panel discussions um and, you know, I don't know that... I mean, I I know that the film changed the way he looks at this. I can see that, yeah. But, uh, you know, I don't I don't know that he's where I am. But uh, it's it, it's it's been a really wonderful healing experience for my relationship with my father going through this um, in an interesting way. And as, an, as, a, as a man who went through that as a baby, that's really important. When, especially when your mother or your father or both get it yeah my mother told me that my father convinced her that if it wasn't done to me I would be teased by other children in the public restroom well if I could turn it around a little bit and ask you a question how does seeing this make you feel the same as I've always felt ever since I found out it was done to me like 
I was robbed. That's not strong enough a word, but you know what I mean. So you feel angry about it? I was mutilated. Yes, I am angry. I would, not, I would have to hate somebody a lot to do that to them. It's, it's really important that people like you speak up about this. I was, earlier this summer, I participated in a debate with a, a very famous rabbi on the subject of circumcision. And he came at me with um, a challenge. And he said to me, name the URL of the support group for men who are upset that they were circumcised. He said it in a mocking sort of a way, and he thought he had a... And there is one, I'm sure. Of course there is, and I <laughs> named it to him. I said www.norm.org. Um, but the the reason I'm saying your testimony is so important is because a lot of people think what he thinks, which is no one complains about it. And it's just a fallacy. That's a myth. There are a lot of men who grow up and have a lot of resentful feelings about the fact that this was done to them. Until you know that it's been done, you have nothing to... Com well, right now I have nothing to compare it to. Yeah, but it still has caused you anguish. Yeah, Absolutely. I can imagine. Thank you for your thank you for your story. Thank you for listening. And I would like to add to that as a mother, my first son is circumcised and my second is not, and it's a it's a lifelong journey to really work through all of the aspects of it. He now is a father. He's thirty six. And it's just been in the last couple of years that, I mean, it's really hard to know what I did that took that from him. You were ignorant. Well, I was 18, and I just did what was next, and I was holding him, which is really unusual now. But as soon as I saw what it was, I went into shock. But I remember having this thought, like, what the fuck? You know, I can't, this can't, I can't be natural. I can't. And it was, it was, it was fast, and it was halfway done, and I... But now, you know, the different stages, some, sometimes I just, he's expecting an, uh, their second child, and sometimes I just really cry about what he's missing as a man that, that he does, that he'll never know. And, and I have that, you know, that it's really hard for women to realize what, what they've chosen. And you see those, the mothers in your film were all crying. And I don't know why we don't think that's normal, but I just wish for healing for all of you. I and suppose there's a lot of money to be made. There's a lot of money. And you, you, you've got a show Monday, right? Yeah, and uh, it's part of controlling people. It's a lot easier to control sexually repressed people than it is to control happy people, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> I And... Uh, on that note, I think, um, and I did try to emphasize this in the film by slowing down the footage um, when the mothers are crying so you can really see what's going on there. Um, but I think that's, when we talk about the psychological consequences of circumcision, it extends beyond the individual who's been circumcised to the parents. Um, and not only are there men who are upset that they've been circumcised, on this tour now, I've heard so many stories of women who are so upset about what they did um, so that also has to be taken into account when we're weighing up the, uh, the costs of circumcision absolutely that's our show if you have any questions comments or suggestions please email them to us at cutdocumentary at gmail.com 
And if you like what you've heard today, please support us by buying our film at www.cutthefilm.com. 